So uh, we're going to talk today about, we're still in this uh, series on uh, tuning in, and we started that, uh, talked about the Trinity, and now we're going to look at um, another very significant uh, piece of um, tuning in, what it means to tune in, what's helpful to tuning in. And believe it or not, it has to do with temptation. Um, and uh, we're going to look at the temptation, namely the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter five and or in Matthew chapter four, rather. And um, uh, and talk a little bit about that, because what we've been sort of uh, looking at is well, what are the what are the ways? And this is in response to some of your questions. What are the ways that I can actually hear from God, like really tune in, follow uh, spirit for myself? What does that look like? What does that feel like? How does that happen? And um, and for some of us, uh, we, you know, it's it's really, really difficult uh, to, to know what that is. And others of us have tapped in a little bit more to our intuition and we kind of go with it. And um, but it's not an easy thing for any of us. And there's a lot that we're ever learning and, and getting better at. And here's what I think. I think that the more we practice our faith, the better we become at it. So this is not like a, a you, you either are or aren't kind of thing. That's, that's the way I grew up was you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. Um, that's actually not biblically even close to being true. That's the funny thing about it. It's not even a, a single passage that indicates that that's the way it works. Um, the way that the, actually almost everything in New Testament is about you becoming something, you moving towards something. There's a progression of ever going towards uh, faith and ever going towards God and ever go- growing and developing and understanding it at, at higher levels. So that's, that's the way the scriptures actually work. And so we try to do what we see happening in there. And, and that is uh, the practice of it, the, the ever doing of it, getting it wrong is part of the process of getting it right, believe it or not. You have to get it wrong before you can get it right. And you have to be okay with making mistakes and moving forward. That's also part of learning to discern and listen well. How is the spirit leading me right now and in this particular situation? So the other uh, error I think oftentimes it's been made is in charismatic circles. It's always been about spirit moving in our services. And that's fantastic. And I hope it happens today again because it's been happening weekly and we love it. We absolutely love it. But it has to be that spirit moves you throughout the week because if spirit moves you throughout the week, then when you show up on Sunday, this is just like, of course, Holy Spirit's going to show up today because it's been happening for me all week long, right? So you're not like, oh, I hope so, I hope so, I hope so. You know, I need it. I need my, my fill up, you know? It's like I'm driving my car all week long and now I'm on E and I come to church and that's my filling station, and that's true to a large degree. I experience that from week to week. I get filled up being here. But there's another component that helps me. There's part of it that what helps me to be filled up even more on Sunday is the fact that during the week, I'm actually practicing trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, be guided by Spirit. And then uh, the more I practice that, then it becomes better so that when we show up together, you're even sharper. You're even, you're, you've grown that week. You've learned some things. Um, or you've made some mistakes, and that's also learning. Um, let's talk about this particular story, because this story is really, really, um, uh, I think, um, 
particularly specific to this issue of learning to follow the Holy Spirit. And that's the temptation of Jesus. Believe it or not, that is actually what Matthew, the writer, is doing, is he's comparing the person of Jesus to Israel. And what he is doing is saying, this is the problem that has existed for people for generations. And that is that they, um, well, let me read what I wrote down here because I thought um, I wrote it pretty uh, succinctly. The problem the writer is addressing is how people tend not to discern what God spirit is doing in the present. We are excellent at noticing it generations later. We create entire religious denominations, religions, denominations, and doctrines, and then demand agreement on our hindsight theologizing. The writer is comparing and contrasting Jesus to Israel in that Jesus was able to recognize and follow the spirit in his day as a model for us. Now, that's the thing I think. I, I, to my mind, I've, I've really, I see it now. I see it so much more clearly. This is the problem that we deal with even in, the, in this day is that much of our faith, much of our religion is hindsight theologizing. We can recognize God in the past very well. Oh, they clearly got it wrong. How foolish those Israelites were. I don't say that anymore because I'm Israel. How foolish am I in not recognizing spirit today in this very moment? There's, you don't get credits. You don't get points by God for get, figuring it out thousands of years later. <laughs> That's done. You get points and credit from God for figuring it out now, for actually stumbling and bumbling and getting it wrong, but still trying. You're still moving forward, trying to discern what is spirit doing right now, today, in this moment, and can I discern it and can I work with spirit? You know? and, and, and so this is, the, this is the work, I think, that uh, Matthew is, is, is uh, developing, is this idea. Jesus himself actually did that, which is why he was so reviled by every religious leader in his day. Because he actually assumed hindsight theology is no good. It only is good in the sense that it teaches you to actually do what they did back then rather than trying to, 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 to codify and like worship the, these people from the past, which is what they were doing. They were worshiping Moses. They were worshiping Abraham. And Jesus says, if you, if you actually were listening to them and doing what they, you would, you would see me as one of them. You would see me as actually following God but you're not getting it uh, be, because again, hindsight theology is what we tend to do because it's easier. It's easier to look in retrospect and see how people lived back then and did it right or did it wrong than it is for us to walk in our own journey on our own path to actually follow spirit. Right? Because when we're in the stands watching the game, it's good. We can point out the errors. Oh, stupid. Why did he pass? Why did he throw it? He should have ran it. We can do all that. We'll be doing that later on. We can do all of that very easily. Like, but, but to actually be in the huddle and make the play and say, wow, I sure hope this goes well and I'm going at it like it will. And then you go out there and you get smashed in the face and you fall down because that play didn't work. And then everybody goes, eh, and they point out. It's not them. It's not those people that are in the journey or on the path, right? They're observing it, but it's the ones like you 
and me who are trying to walk it out in our very day. That's the ones, those, uh, we are the ones who are actually in the game of life and trying to discern and follow spirit for us today. And that's the work of faith. So when people say, Jesus, Joel, I, I thought I was going in the right and I screwed up and they feel all kinds of shame. I say to them, high five, you're in the game. You're in the game. You stand back up. You shake it off. No shame. No shame. Shame should be, I'm not even in the game. That's where shame comes from. It's like, what are you doing? Are you in the game or no? Well, I, I, I believe all these things, you know, and I go to church and I'm yeah, so what? So what? Like, what is it doing for you? Well, it, it just, uh, it makes me feel better. Okay, good. But are you actually following Jesus? What's, what's God's been saying to you? I remember a guy saying that he asked that question to somebody on a plane who was, you know, quoting all kinds of passages and verses and, and uh, he was trying to evangelize. This guy was trying to evangelize him. Little did they know that he was trying to evangelize a pastor. So this pastor sitting next to him and listening to him trying, you know, this guy evangelizing him. And, uh, and he says, um, oh, that's interesting. So when did you come to, what, what, what's, what's Jesus done for you lately? What, what, what's your latest experience? It's like, oh, well, 20 years ago, I got, you know, I, I you know, was hooked on drugs and then I came to faith and I, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's all the past. What about, I'm, ta- I'm asking you, what are you doing now? What's Jesus doing for you now? And the guy could not answer. And then the guy started getting really troubled. He says, well, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to trouble you. I'm not trying to provoke you. Uh, you, you said you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in what way are you following Jesus right now? Like, in what's, what's happening? What new thing is going on in your life? And the guy starts getting mad. And, and literally someone from behind who's sitting behind in the plane leans up and says, can I join this conversation? This is fascinating. <laughs> because what they were saying is that I was, and this person who was leaning in was actually tired of religion and had actually left the church because what they saw was a bunch of hypocrisy. They saw people talking about this stuff, but actually not experiencing Jesus in their day and following the spirit and doing stuff that changes the world. They didn't see it. And so when they heard this guy actually asking questions about, but what's happening now in your life? What are you doing? What are you experiencing? What's your latest transformational story? He didn't have any. Now, I don't believe he didn't have any. I think he'd probably forgotten some of it that was happening because his attention was still on the past and not on trying to discern what spirit is doing now. Because I believe this, no matter who you are, religious, non-religious, the spirit is always trying to guide you. God is faithful to his people, faithful to all. And always communicating. But what stands in the way are these problems that get surfaced in the temptation of Jesus. So the desert, I want to say three things about the desert, and then we'll jump into the actual three temptations. So three things about the desert. One is the shocking thing is the Holy Spirit guides Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Think about that for a moment. That should shock you. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by God, right? That's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what's going on here? Whoa, what's he doing? He's, he's, he's pointing to something that they would have understood. Israel herself, when she is taken out of Egypt, rescued by Moses from Egypt is led into where? The desert. 
Same deal. And guess what they thought? They did not believe that Moses was a good deliverer. They couldn't understand that it was the spirit guiding them into the desert. They thought of it as Moses is a terrible deliverer because he's led us out here to die. That was what their complaint was. They thought he screwed up because they could not what? Discern the spirit in their day. They could not see it. They could go back to Abraham and talk about Abraham, but they could not discern in this moment, this is what spirit's doing. Secondly is they, they didn't like the fact that spirit was leading them into a tough space. <laughs> like, like, wait, wait, if God just told, I think God was guiding me to do this with my business or God was guiding me to do this with my life. And then you start moving in that direction and things start getting difficult. You know what most of us do? Oh, clearly I got it wrong. Right? Because we expect that if Holy Spirit guides us into something, it's going to be guiding us into something easy. <laughs> Not difficult, easy. You know, like the commercial with the easy button, you know, that like we want easy. We want God to be that easy button. The moment we whack him, he gives us something easy. But when we, when he leads us into the desert, then we, we assume that can't be, that's got to be the devil. I must've made a mistake. So why does God lead us into the desert? Well, the third reason is so that God can cause you to hunger. That's what Jesus specifically, that's what, this is what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy says, God led you into the desert, Israel, so that you could hunger and then learn this wonderful lesson that you don't live by bread alone. Right? So the desert is there to what? Not just create hunger, but to deepen your hunger so that you understand that you have superficial desires. I need food. And then it goes deeper. Oh, I'm more than that. And that's true for some of us who are very self-preservational. We think about things in terms of material possessions. There's some of us who are there. Others of us are more relationally oriented. And some of us are very social, like culture, global kind of mindset. Right? So, so this is what drives many of us who are self-preservationists to look for, well, what's, where's the food, right? So there's three things that Jesus is tempted by. Number one is appetite. The first thing is appetite. And so Jesus is tested, right? Matthew says um, the first temptation, Jesus was led into the de- desert to be by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was, I would have been hungry the first day. I think I would have been hungry after the first meal, missing the first meal. He's pretty good. 40 days. Um, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay. This is the appetite test. Israel had the same test. She's led into the desert. She's hungry. And what does she do? She complains, give us food. Why did you do this to us? We're hungry. And you know, that's what we do. I'm hungry. I need food. And, and some of us get hangry, right? <laughs> You're hungry and, and, and a- angry. And it's the angry from the hungry. And, uh, and when that happens, there's, it could be low blood. Sure. That can happen. But I would suggest that there's also a psychological component to it. 
And that is for us who are very oriented towards things that are comfort or like food and security. And it, it, it can, we can become angry when those things are missing in our lives. And we become so focused on those things that we stop being able to hear and discern what spirit might be doing at any given moment. That's the point of surfacing hunger. It's the desert creates this hunger. Here's the other thing I want to say about the desert. Much religion is designed and rules are designed. Religious rules are designed to keep you from your own temptation to sin. The desert does what? The exact opposite. It makes you face it. This is who you really are. And you go, I don't want to see that. I like it when I don't have to think about that. And I and, and I like it when I can do the just go about as soon as I'm hungry, psychologically, or I'm feeling anxious, or I'm feeling alone, I go to the fridge, or I go to, you know, uh, the TV, or I go to you know, whatever it is. We all have them. We all have these temptations. We go after them. And somehow that's going to feed that. Right. And the desert is there to go, no, there's something deeper. Stay with the hunger. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. I need to move. I need to do something. I need to, I need to get back to, to, to the physical world and, and doing stuff. I need to construction. It's like I knew construction workers. I, I was in the field for a while. It's just like I could see that compulsion to like, I got to get back. I got I to gotta fix. I got to do. I gotta, there's this like drive. And it's that self-preservational instinct that's functioning the motivation behind it to make sure that we will be okay in the physical resource department. And many times when you're in that, on that choo-choo and you're running and you're moving, you don't discern what the Holy Spirit might be doing at this moment where God might be saying, slow down. There's somebody over here. Hey, I want you to do this. Hey, did you notice that? There's a new understanding I want to give you, but you're so focused and you're so driven that I have to bring you into the desert to surface the deeper hunger that lies underneath. See, there's nothing wrong with the self-preservation. That's wonderful more of it. Yes. But sometimes you can become so fixated that you don't see anything other than that. And if you want to tune into what the spirit's doing in this moment, who is the great creator of in the one who is recreating this world. And you want to partner up with the Holy spirit and God, as God is recreating this world, moving it forward. Then it requires sometimes those lower motivations to be surfaced so you can see what's really going on and then conquer it. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, you're more than just your stomach. You're more than just your appetites. You also have this heart that deeply desires to be loved and to connect to God in a profound way. And, and when you have those moments, you wake up that you're more than just a, a, this physical being. You're also a spiritual being. And, and that is the thing that Israel was, was struggling with is understanding. It's not just about food. It's not just about shelter. You're a spiritual being. There's more. And so this is the first temptation. The second temptation is the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Notice the question. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. <clears throat> so, again, the question, if you're the son of God, second time, if you're the son of God, do this, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone, right? Now listen to Jesus' response. It is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test, right? So this is a cryptic one that many scholars wrestle with. This is not very clear what is going on here other than that maybe it was go, go throw yourself off. But for what purpose? Like, was it a personal thing and do this privately? Was it in front of a group of people to demonstrate that he was, in fact, Jesus, the, the son of God, the Messiah, the deliverer, and that if he jumped off the top of the temple and uh, the angels caught him in the air, that he would you know, be proven as, I mean, we don't know. That seems a little bizarre if that was the case. Um, but whatever the, 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 the actual situation here is, um, it is probably, it probably has to do with something related to uh, the approval, the need for approval, the need to be seen um, as uh, God's son, as someone who is significant, as someone who is uh, going to be a deliverer. There was some sense of needing to be approved, uh, perhaps in this, um, this, this story. Um, because you think about Israel and Israel is a people that struggled as well. And these, these, um, so these, these temptations, these three temptations, most scholars agree, they parallel excellently with the, the, the three main temptations that Israel was tempted with in the desert. Um, so same thing, food. And then, uh, the other one would have been, um, you know, who, who are you and whose are you? And there was a big question for Israel about who they belonged to. And so over and over again, God kept telling Israel, you are my people. So the, you'll see that in the, in the Hebrew scriptures a lot, particularly in the prophets, where there's this concept of you're my people. And then finally, towards the very end, there's this also uh, a statement that comes across that is pretty harsh. that says, you, you know, you are no longer my people because you have kept undoing this and this and this. And then, then there's also the, the prophet then says, oh, wait, wait, wait. But God could never actually reject you. He, he, you're his people. So this is all this pass these passages about God saying, you're mine. You're mine. And for Jesus in this moment, I think this is probably one of the temptations as well, is if you, if you, if you go up and, and present yourself in some way that, um, you know, you, you, you throw yourself off, you, you, uh, you, you, you're, gonna, you're about to die, God's going to save you and vindicate you as his son. And if that's the case, if it is about that issue of approval, then that would be true for a lot of us who tend to test and tempt and to see if we're actually loved and approved by God or by other people. There's this, there's this chronic issue for many humans to test that to, to its limit. Some, some folks at, 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 you know, in their teenage years will test mom and dad, right? That you, we hear about the, the, this happening with teenagers. Testing mom and dad. And, and see how far they can push. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes it is about testing to see how far can I go and that you'll still love me because there's this, always this question in most of our minds, am I really loved? When push comes to shove, am I really going to be loved by you? 
How many here have fully resolved that to the degree that you are, you know, and you're completely at ease that you are completely loved and you never question that and you never doubt it. How many here would raise your hand and say, that is me. See, I, I think that that's universally true. So far, everybody I talk with, this is, this shows up. There's a testing that some of us do actively to poke and to prod the people that love us to see, do you really love me? And will you be faithful to me? And that's, this is what I think is going on here when, when, when Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test, is that there's a temptation for many of us to test, to see, am I really loved? Instead of just saying, I accept and receive that love and that I am loved, as I am, I, I had this client that last week who she actually wrote me and said, I, I'm, 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 I keep hearing you say that I am loved, but I'm having a hard time. I know that I am loved, that my husband loves me. But for me to get to the place of actually saying that I am good enough to be loved is really difficult. And I'm struggling with that. And I thought, that's it. That's, that's the struggle <laughs> that all of us have. I mean, I don't know how to answer that because it is an enormous struggle with all of us and that there's a temptation to keep testing. And this one keeps testing it by trying to be good enough. And that will never happen. And the longing of, and if you, you know this, if you love somebody deeply and you can feel their resistance to your love or they're testing your love, it gets frustrating, doesn't it? Where you just want to say, stop testing me. I love you just as you are. Stop pushing my love away. Stop being, you know, we have all kinds of ways of doing that. Whatever way it is that you're doing it, eventually, it, you know, the person that loves you gets tired of that. And I think the message here is don't try to prove that, you know, for Jesus, don't try to prove anything. You don't have to prove yourself. A best friend of mine said that to me many, many years ago. When I was in college, I, I was struggling and, and, you know, never felt like I was really fully loved ever. So I was trying to prove myself. I never let on that I wanted love. I was just always trying to prove myself. You know, better at this, faster, whatever it was. I was always trying to do that. And I was sitting in the car with him and I'm going and going and talking about things and talking about things and trying to prove myself. And suddenly he turns around and he looks at me and he says, you don't have to prove a thing. I like you just the way you are, Joel. And it was so stunning to me how those words pierced my heart because I could see now for the first time that I was trying to be loved and I was pushing and pushing instead of just simply accepting the love that is present. And that's the transformational moment is when you can begin to receive and accept that you are already God's son. You don't have to prove it. Jesus did not try to prove it. I'm not going to go try to prove that I am loved by God, that I'm special, that God's going to rescue me when I jump off of the top of this. I don't have to prove anything. I already walk as if I'm loved. Yeah. Pr trying to prove it to yourself. Yeah. That's another really good point. Yeah. That's really true. I would say that that was true for me as well. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that that's what was going on is the need to prove it to myself. It's really hard to believe it. Really, really hard. But Jesus walks as if he's loved. I'm just going to receive it. I'm not going to prove it. I'm not going to try to test God. 
over and over again, I'm just going to accept it as if it's real. And sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. You have to just go about like, I'm going to accept it. And this is also what can blind us from hearing God in the moment is the disbelief that God really loves us and that God is present right here and right now in this moment. How many of you have felt shame and that shame has prevented you from actually tuning in and trusting the Holy Spirit's guiding you right now in this moment? Yeah, yeah, lots of hands. And that's, that's a really big issue for, for some of us who struggle with shame. It's like, you know, catches us right. It freezes us up in the moment and, and we can't move forward and, and we can't discern what God might be doing, right? And so to act as if you're, you're okay, to act as if you, you're fine, you're loved, you know, could tune you back in to the spirit of God in this moment, what God's doing. So our eyes turn on us, right? Don't they? When, when, when you feel shame, it's like the eyes back on us. <clears throat> so same thing with the self-preservation piece I mentioned earlier. It's like the eyes back on me. This is what I need. This is what I need. And that keeps us from being able to really see. Okay, so the third temptation. <clears throat> the third temptation is, and the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Okay, this, is, this third one is ambition. Ambition. Boy, you know, how many of us are very ambitious people? There's some ambitious folks in this room. And that's great. Ambition's wonderful. Uh, but that ambition can also cause us to, um, <clears throat> to pursue, pursue, pursue. And actually, as Jesus said, you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. That can actually happen very easily to a lot of us who are, who are chasing and running and pursuing, right? Ambition is a wonderful thing, but it has to be something that, um, it, that, that the lower part of it is surface. Like, what's the ambition for? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to meet needs through your ambition. So back to this client this week is this is the issue that came up was it is I'm trying so hard to be successful, to achieve, to grab a hold of everything I can to succeed so that finally I can be loved. And that's what I'm struggling with. And there's so much guilt and shame around that, right? So the ambition to pursue, right? This is what is, is causing her to not be able to see what I said later was like, I said to her, the thing is that you're looking at your spouse as the source of love, right? You're shocked by the fact that he loves you, but you've, you've accepted it. You've just sort of gone with it. Can you see it as that's, that's the resource, but as God is source? Can you, can you push past that? Because otherwise you will kind of always try to cling to the one thing, you know, it's like, well, you know, he loves me. And that's, that's like, you know, Wonderful, but, but can you see it as beyond that, as the source? This is, the, this is why I think this has to do with worship. It's because, G, you know, Jesus says, worship the Lord your God only, right? It, it, it's, the, the devil's going to give him all the kingdoms, everything. You can have it all if you'll just worship me. And, and Jesus points to something greater. Yeah, these are, the, these are the resources you're pointing to, and they're great. And they can definitely speak to my soul as being somebody that's accomplished a lot. If I have a lot, if I've succeeded, then it does feel really good. But there's something even greater than that because these are just the resources. There is the source of all things that is God. And when I tune into the source of all things, 
the source of all things that lives within me, not as something to be grabbed that is out here, but as something that is already present within me, then I live in a different way. I'm not compulsively chasing everything to finally fill this hole in my soul. Instead, I'm living, understanding that the source of all good things, the source of love, the source of affirmation, the source of, uh, of, 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 of everything, of approval of it all is already within me. And if I can live from that, then I'm not chasing these things and which is the act of worshiping idols, you know, biblically. And instead I'm, I'm already connected to the divine. I already have everything I need right here in this moment. I do this with a lot of people because it's my own, like I have, it's my own faith statement. I have to keep saying, I have everything I need right here, right now, because otherwise the appetite starts going. The need for approval starts going, right? The need for, uh, for grabbing a hold of things, for achieving, that starts taking over. So I have to tune back in to the source of all things, which is God, and to say, God, you're here right now. I have everything I need. I'm already your child. I have nothing I have to become. It's already right here. So long as we keep preaching about something out there, we're just perpetuating this very def- de- de- defunct, very, very broken schema, this very broken pattern of chasing. And religion keeps doing that. It's like, it's out there. It's out there. Go after it. You need to, no, 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 no. Jesus acts as if it's already here. I've already got it. It's not something I have to go chase. I am loved. I'm complete. I have everything I need in this moment because the source of all things lives within me. Amen. Yeah. So the desert, the desert, that's what it's for. It's to surface bigger hunger, greater hunger. You have a greater hunger. You know what your hunger's for? It's for God. (laughs) It's simply said it's for God. You are made for God. You're made for God. And so when you tap into that deeper hunger, you you wake up to it. That's what I'm hungry for. I'm hungry for connection with God and with other people. So can I tune into the truth that I have everything I need right here and right now? And then you could actually say, away from me, Satan. I don't need any of this. The desert has surfaced the deeper hunger and has actually quieted it. It's, it's, it's quiet now. There's no chasing. There's no chasing. And when you get there, your mind is like on fire because you're open. It's open to God. You've had those moments. I see your head's nodding, right? You've had those moments of like, oh, I'm still, I'm okay. And then your mind and your eyes are open and all of a sudden you see like you haven't seen before and you hear like you haven't hear, heard before, right? And that's what tunes us in to the Holy Spirit. So let's do this in worship even. Let's practice this. Like I have everything I need right here and right now. I'm complete. I'm loved. And practice saying that and receiving that inside your your being. Let's stand.